Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We wrap up our series today on Bulldog, and I, I don't know how you feel about these things, but I get close in these series. I, I spend so much time with them. I learn so much. I le- you know, if you want to learn, preach. That's how you learn. You just teach somebody something. So uh, the more I prepare and the more I get ready to talk to you, the, the more God teaches me, and so I, I've learned a ton in this series, and and um, we wrap it up today. Today is the last of the Bulldog series. And we're talking about Noah today, of all people. And, and what we're going to learn today from Noah is what to do when other people don't understand what you're called to do. What to do when you're called to something and there are naysayers and you've been given this big mission. And, you know, we just saw these. I love at the end of that song when it's, you know, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? And they start going down the list of things they want to do. And I've determined that I need to hang out with Bryson Myers where I need to be because he's going into the culinary arts. So I need to be like lockstep with him wherever he is. I need to be with him. But the kids, are they've got some big goals and dreams. There's some big stuff represented in what they just said. And, you know, the ones going off to serve our country and the military, just proud of, of all of them. But those are big goals and dreams. And sometimes God gives us those things and, and it's our moment to kind of step into what it is that God's calling us. And there might be somebody or a bunch of somebodies that are saying, oh, you, know, you can't do that. What are you doing? You, you, what, are you, what are you thinking about? You, that, that's not for you. That's, you're not good enough for that. You can't do that. So what do you do? You've got to find the inner bulldog that says, oh, you, you're not going to do that to me. I'm stronger than that. I'm not letting go of the rope. This is me. This is, this is what God's given me, and I'm going to see it to completion. So... Uh, Today we're looking at Noah, and Noah teaches us what to do when other people do not understand what it is that God has called you to do. When you have a dream or a vision, and God's put it in your heart, and you're trying to do something, and you believe God wants you to do it, and nobody else is on board with that dream or vision. God wants Noah to save the future of the human race. Not a big deal. You know, not, I mean, anybody could do that. That, that was what Noah's job was. Your job, Noah, is to do something that's going to preserve mankind. No pressure, we're just all counting on you. Here's what I, lear- what I learned a long time ago, and I know this to be true. The bigger the life mission God gives you, the bigger the, fo- the, the, uh, the problem you can expect to have. The bigger the life mission you, achieve, you try to achieve, the bigger the problems you're going to encounter. I, when I first started preaching, you know, every preacher wants their church to be a big church. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. We all, we like it when the building's full, right? Like we like, uh, it's no fun getting up and preaching to uh, not very many people. It's more fun when there's a lot of people around. And, and I'm just like everybody else. I, want, I wanted the church to be big, right? So when we started, we weren't quite as the size we are now and had these visions for what it could be and how big it could be. And I remember I went to a conference and I heard somebody make this statement and I thought, boy, I hope that's not true. But what I've learned is it's true. The bigger the church, the bigger the problems. That's what they said, and and I thought, oh, hopefully that's not true. Hopefully the bigger we get, the easier it gets. No, no. The bigger the church, the bigger the problems. Trust me, you still have problems. They're just bigger and more complex. That's all it is. So you can also expect that when God gives you a dream or a goal for your life that a lot of other people are not going to get on board with it. They're not going to want you to be successful. You may be there right now. You may be saying, you know, I know what it is that God wants me to do with my life. I know what my vision is, but I just, nobody else gets it. Usually, 
when people think about Noah, what they think is they start thinking about the boat and they think about the animals. And, you know, it's fun to think about, you know, getting animals on the boat and giraffes and hippos and all that kind of, that's fun to think about that kind of stuff. That's not where I want this message to go this morning. I want to talk about the man Noah and the decisions and the things he had to do to overcome and to get through and press through to be successful, to get us to the place that we are today. Nobody believed that God had told Noah that this was going to happen. Nobody was buying what Noah was saying. That he would, you know, when he starts building this ark, nobody understands what an ark is. And yet he has an assignment and he's going to take it very seriously and it's going to take him decades to accomplish this thing. The Bible tells us that there was a time when mankind was wicked and depraved and perverted and cruel. And it tells us that there was a time that God regretted that he made mankind. Can you imagine? I mean, he looked down, he saw one guy in the middle of all this perversion, one man in, in the middle of all this mess and this nonsense that he, he has no time for, he's fed up, he's had it. But he looks down and he sees one guy that's got a pure heart, one guy with some integrity, one guy that's got some courage, and that man's name was Noah. God told Noah, Noah, I'm going to make it rain. Noah had no idea what rain was. The Bible tells us that before God caused water to come up, on the, upon the earth by, by rain, the way we know it, that somehow the, the earth was watered either by a mist or a dew or a fog of some kind. Not exactly sure what that looked like, but God took care of it. God made sure that the, water, the ground had moisture and that things could grow. People have never seen a rainbow. They've never seen rain. They don't, when you, you know, Noah's going to talk about these things, they don't understand any of that. They don't know what any of that is. And God said, I'm going to make it rain so much, there's going to be a worldwide flood. I'm going to put an end to mankind as you know it. It's going to cover the earth. Water is going to cover the earth. Can you imagine trying to get somebody that's never seen that to understand that? And he says, I'm going to wipe everybody out, but I'm going to spare you, Noah, and I'm going to spare your wife, I'm going to spare your sons, and I'm going to spare your daughters-in-law, and you guys will be the ones that will repopulate the earth. So that means that Noah is your ancestor and mine. Right? Like somehow we're related to Noah, which makes us all related. When we use the term brothers and sisters, there's, you know, you got some people maybe that are brothers and sisters you wish weren't, but they are. They're your brothers and sisters. And God says, I'm going to save it all through you, Noah. Something called an ark. I'm going to give you the plans. You're going to build it with your sons. It's going to take a long time to accomplish. Noah, I'm just telling you up front, this is how it's going to be. And Bible scholars have tried to calculate how long it took Noah to build the ark and what they've done is they've tried to use the calculation of their of Noah's son's ages and through that they've tried to come up with what they think how long if they think it took Noah to build the ark and what they think is that it took somewhere around 80 years for Noah to build the ark and here he is he's building it you know imagine he's in his front yard building this monstrosity of a thing can you imagine the homeowners association what they think about it are you kidding me what is this? It's nonsense. You know, I mean, what are you doing, Noah? Everybody's going to think he's crazy. And so this is the setup for the story of Noah and the ark that you find in Genesis chapters 6 through 9. It's Noah's story, and we find him working to fulfill a mission that God has given him. He's going to try to do what God's called him to do, and he's going to try to do it in spite of four 
very common pitfalls. If you're going to try to do something for God, if you're going to try to do anything of significance whatsoever, you're going to encounter these four pitfalls. Distractions, doubts, detours, and delays. That's a part of it. So, so specifically, what does that mean? What's the antidote of, to these four things? Cultural distractions. They're going to be time, things that try to steal your time and steal your focus and steal your energy and steal your money. You're going to set out to do something big. If there's graduates in the room this morning, you've got goals and visions. I know that's awesome, that's wonderful, but these things, something's going to try to come steal from you your focus and your energy toward whatever it is that God's calling you to do. Voices of doubt. Sometimes from without, sometimes the voices are around you. As we're going to talk this morning, sometimes those voices come from within you. Voices of doubt. Sometimes it's, it's tempting detours. You're going to be tempted to, to take a shortcut somewhere. You're going to think that your way is a better way than God's way. And it's going to lead you in the wrong direction. And the number four, discouraging delays. It took Noah almost 100 years to build this boat. Noah has to make four choices. It's the same four choices that you and I are going to have to make if we're going to be able to fulfill the things God calls us to do. Here's the first choice Noah made that you may also have to make one of these days in order to fulfill your dream. And it is, I must dare to be different from my culture. Until you settle this, forget about fulfilling your destiny. If you've got a big mission from God, if God's calling you to do something, the first thing you've got to understand is <clears throat> you have to depart from the culture to do it, probably, in some way. Maybe not entirely, but in some way, you're going to have to walk a different path. You will never completely fit in with culture and fit God into your life. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, the first part of that, this is from God's word. This is the account of Noah and his descendants. Noah had God's approval and was a man of integrity among the people of his time. If you're ever going to get something done for God that's a big thing, significant in your life, you know, something that you can look back on and say, yeah, that's, I was a part of that, it will be in spite of the culture that you live in. Culture will distract you from the things that God puts in front of you to be able to accomplish. Here are four cultural distractions, first of which is pleasure. There's, a, there's something in us, there's something in me, something in you that we pursue pleasure. Our world is pleasure crazy. Our world is comfort crazy. We don't like to be uncomfortable. We want what we want. I say all the time to people, and they don't believe me, but it really is true, we are nothing more than glorified two-year-olds, right? I have a two-year-old walk into the room, hand them a sucker, they're happy, take the sucker out of their hand, what do they do? Scream and yell, right? They're not happy. That's us. We just have learned to hide it a little better. But we want what we want. We want it when we want it. We don't want anybody to get in the way. We want to make sure we have it our way. Pleasure's a big deal to us. That's one of the cultural distractions. Number two, possessions. Judging your success by the stuff you have been able to accumulate. I would just tell you, don't fall into the trap of judging your success by what you've been able to accumulate. Number three, popularity. Think, worrying about what other people think. I think that's a struggle for all of us. It's certainly a struggle for me. I want people to like me. I had a good friend one time say, Brett is like my dog. He, he wants everybody to like him, and he doesn't understand when they don't. I think that's most of us, right? We want people to like us. And then fourthly, profit. If your number one goal is to get rich, 
You may have to rethink that when it comes to the things that God calls you to. When I was a little guy, 15, 16 years old, <clears throat> before I had fully decided what I wanted to do with my life, I knew I was clear on one thing. I want to own a Porsche when I, live, when I get bigger. I'm going to own a Porsche. Um, and then I decided to go into ministry. And God said, you know, that Porsche thing is not going to happen in ministry. I think it should, because I think I could do the Lord's work a whole lot faster in a Porsche. But the fact of the matter is, I have never, I don't know that I've ever even touched one in my life. I don't, I've, never, I've never driven one. I've never sat in one. Um, I've been around them. I've admired them from a distance. And every time I see one, I'm like, boy, that's pretty. But that's just something that if I was going to be able to accomplish what it was God was calling me to do, that was not going to be in the cards for me. Okay, I'm not saying it wouldn't be for you. But I'm saying when, when God gave me what he wanted me to do, it became clear, you've got to set that aside. That's not, gonna, that's not something you're going to have. In Noah's day, the human race had hit moral rock bottom. We read this in Genesis 6. Now the earth had become corrupt in God's sight, and it was filled with violence. And God observed all the evil done in the world, and he noticed Cruelty and depravity everywhere. You read words like corruption and violence, evil, depravity. Does that sound remotely familiar to you? Genesis 6, verse 5, when God saw the extent of human wickedness and that the, the trend and direction of men's lives were only toward evil, he was sorry he made them. He had made them. It broke his heart. It broke God's heart. When he looked down and he saw mankind and he looked at what kind of shape the world was in when Noah was there, he, he looked at it. At first when he created everything, it was good. He looked at it, he said, it's good, it's very good. And then there comes a day, he suddenly looks at it and he says, it's not good anymore. My question for you is, what direction do you see the world trending in for you? I mean, what, I mean honestly, if you're, if you're really honest, is it, is it toward good is the world trending toward good? Is it trending toward stability or instability? Is it trending toward rudeness and incivility? Or is it trending toward kindness and civility to one another? Is it, is it trending toward, toward chaos and, and violence? Or is it trending toward peace? Jesus said this in Luke, when the Son of Man comes again, it will be just like it was when Noah lived, you're sitting there, you're thinking, Brett, honestly, you're going to do a whole sermon on Noah? You expect me to believe in Noah? Yeah, I expect you to believe in Noah. Jesus believed in Noah. Jesus talked about Noah. No reason for me to think Noah wasn't real. Jesus thought Noah was real. That's good enough for me. The same things that were going on in Noah's day, violence, corruption, evil, depravity, cruelty, we are seeing those very things. They are distractions in our culture today. But here, there is good news, and here's the good news. In all the darkness that was around at that time, God found one bright spot. Genesis 6, verse 8, the message, I love the way this says this, but Noah was different. God liked what he saw in Noah. While the entire rest of the world and the rest of the culture is headed in one direction, the, wor the, the words that saved the world were but Noah. I heard Shelby earlier talking about but God. And, and you can transfer that to Noah. But Noah. 
I want you to be that kind of person. I want you to be a but Noah kind of person. People who are moving in the other direction, people who are different, people who are countercultural, people who aren't always caught up in what everybody else is caught up in. But John, but David, but Nancy, but Rachel, but Noah was going in a different direction. He was countercultural. Noah wasn't worried about fitting in. He wasn't worried about getting somebody else's approval for what he was trying to do. We hear this phrase a lot in our culture. We hear people say things like, well, I want to be on the right side of history. I would shorten that. I would shorten that. And I would just say, I want to be on the right side. I just want to be on the right side. You know what? You look back, sometimes history tells us where we're wrong. And sometimes you look into history and you're like, well, we all believe that at one time. I mean, even in this country, there are things that, that we as a country thought was okay once upon a time and and you know as you grow and you learn and you come into new understandings you come to a place and you go you know what that's not I don't know that I buy that anymore we I don't think we should be doing that anymore and you know the way we would judge something 40 years ago we would judge it today in a different way and and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's not so good sometimes we think we're really smart and we're not really as smart as we think we are but history sometimes is wrong. Trends can be wrong. And if God is going to use you, you're going to have to be different. Noah was willing to be different in order to fulfill his destiny. The truth is, I can only make a difference by being different. If I try to be like everybody else, if I'm going to solve a problem, we got the problem because everybody else was thinking the same way. What, what, what it takes to solve problems is to think different. I, I went to a, a, a conference one time and heard a guy, a psychologist-type guy talking, a leader type. He was a, I think he was a CEO. And he talked about how he tried to think gray. And what he meant by that was, um, I think that this is the guy that was talking and had invented the, uh, you know, the touchpad on your, mic, on your microwave oven. He invented that. You know how that was invented? He invented that by trying to think about how an elephant would use a, a microwave oven. And he said, I was thinking gray. I was thinking different is what he's really trying to say. I can only make a difference if, I, if I'm different in some way. You will never truly make a difference until, like Noah, you are prepared to live a countercultural life, until you're prepared to have some people look at you and go, you know what, you're weird. You're strange. You're just a little bit different. Great people never follow the crowd. You start looking at the people who have changed the world, they take the path less traveled. Great, great people are not afraid to be different. They're not afraid to think differently. They're not afraid to go against culture. That's how we get some of the great things we've gotten. Genesis 6 says Noah was a pleasure to the Lord. That's something I once said about cross-lane folk. I want, I want it to be said of you and to be said of me. I want God to look down on you and go, man, she just makes me smile. I just, I want God to call people over and say, look, just look at her. Just, just stand and watch her for a minute. Man, she makes me smile. I want God to look down on me and go, look at him. God love him. <laughs> 
He doesn't have a clue what he's doing. But I just like him. You know, I want God to say that about us. Can God say that about you? Does God look down and when he looks down, does a smile come across his face? And does he think to himself, man, they just light me up. Look at them. Genesis 7, verse 1, God told Noah, out of everyone living in this generation, you are the only righteous person on earth. Now, how does that happen? I would tell you that happens by living your life with integrity. And if you're going to live your life with integrity, that's going to require some courage to be different than everybody else. It just takes courage. And if you're going to fulfill a destiny for your life that God has given you, you have to be willing to do things a little differently than everybody else. Here's the second choice Noah has to make, and you and I are going to have to make as well. I must listen to God, not the voices of doubt. Can you imagine the things that Noah heard in his life as he's building this boat? When God said, I'm going to destroy the world, you're going to start over with your family, you're going to build an ark, it's going to, we're going to call, you know, call it an ark, and rain's going to come, and there's going to be this flood, and Noah has no concept of any of those things. And you, he said, looks at Noah and says, you're going to be able to do this. I just think that, you know, last week we looked at Moses and Moses was trying to talk God out of sending him to let the children of Israel go. I think Noah would probably be tempted to have a very similar conversation with God like, me? Really? (laughs) Me? Likely you've had that conversation with God when you get a sense that God is asking you to do something and you kind of step back and you go, God, me? Honestly? Really? Um... I've had that many, many times in my life. Voices of doubt, and they come from a lot of different places. Some of you are listening to the voices of doubt in your life right now, and you're, there's something God's calling you to. You know it, but you don't want to do it because you're afraid, because other people are going to talk. Or maybe other people are talking, and you're hearing those voices. God's given you a dream about something, but you just don't want to hear it. It's been since you were young. He's called you to it. You know it. You know it's the voice of God. You're clear on all that, but you don't have the courage to do it because you're afraid of what somebody else is going to say. Maybe it's a new dream. Maybe it's a new vision. Maybe your spouse doesn't even believe in it. Your parents, your best friend. Voices of doubt can come from a lot of different places. They can come from critics. We would expect that. They can come from the competition. We would expect that. Sometimes they come from the devil. The Bible calls the devil the accuser. And that's what he does. He accuses you. You're not good enough to do that. We all know what you did. We all know what you said. We all know how this is going to go when you try to put your hand to this. That's how the devil talks to you. Voices of doubt sometimes can come from our friends. Sometimes the voices come from our own family. Can you imagine how many dream busters Noah ran up into when he's building this ark? He's building this thing in his front yard. People are walking by. What's that? It's an ark. What's that for? A flood. What's a flood? Uh, When it rains. What's rain? You know, I mean, just the questions would just go on and on. These people, they think Noah's crazy. He thinks he hears God talking to him. He he thinks God told him to build this thing. Can you imagine the amount of ridicule year after year as he's working on this thing and there's no rain falling anywhere? You know, I would expect that there was a fair amount of pressure on Noah. 
from his, even from his own family. You know, Dad, we've been working on this thing for decades. Why don't you get a normal job? I, I can easily hear his sons coming up to him. Dad, they are talking about us in town. They're talking about this silly dream you've got of this ark and this plan you've got to save us from the flood that's coming, whatever that is. I just would ask you the question, if you were Noah, and God very clearly told you, this is what I want you to do, and it's not going to be easy, it's going to be hard, and it's going to take a long time, this is what I want, and this is, how I'm going to, this is what's coming, this is what I'm going to do, I know you've never seen any of it, I want you to be a part of it, how long would it take for you to throw your hands up? How long would it take you to get frustrated? How long would it take you to succumb to the voices of, you're crazy, You've lost your mind. Who do you think you are? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Decade after decade, this boat is getting bigger and bigger. There's no rain falling. People are walking by. They're wagging their finger. They're shaking their head at Noah. You silly old man. Well, who do you think you are? What, do you, what, what is this? What, what's it for? You've been working on this forever. Dreambusters will try to stop your dream. Critics and cynics will say, who do you think you are? You think Jesus is talking to you? You think you're special? You, you think somehow that he's picked you and he hasn't picked anybody else? Your friends and family may be the ones who do this, but here's the thing. The loudest voices of doubt can actually come from inside of you. The first most important words that you ever say are the words you say to God. The second most important words you ever say are the words you say to yourself. I talk about this a lot when I speak because it's a, it's a problem for us. I, I heard this statistic. I can't prove it. I don't know that it's true, but I think it's probably true. I know it's true in my life because it's, it's a prevalent number but I heard somebody say one time that 80% of our self-talk is negative. We're talking to ourselves all the time. There's, there's, we're, we're constantly saying things to ourselves. The question is, is it good stuff? Is it building us up or is it, is it naysaying stuff? Is it stuff that cuts us down? Are you hard on yourself? Are you constantly talking to yourself in a negative way? Because see, here's what I know. You will listen to one of two voices. You will either listen to your voice, which is probably the most prevalent in your mind. You'll either listen to that voice, which is often telling you, you can't do this, you're not good enough, you're not special enough, God did not call you specifically to this, or you will listen to the voice of God that says, I believe in you. And I need you in this arena. And I'm calling you to this. And don't talk to me about how you can't do it. I can do it. I can do it through you but I need you to do it. Are you going to listen to your voice or are you going to listen to the voice of God that says that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you? My question is, how do you talk to yourself? There are some of you that if you talked to your friends the way you talk to yourself, you wouldn't have any friends. They wouldn't want to be around you. Because if you talk to your friends the way you talk to yourself, the only thing you'd ever say were negative things. Uh, Andrew Peterson is one of my favorite uh, artists. He's a singer, musician, composer. Uh, he can paint a little bit. He, he's an author. 
just a musician, just a great guy. He's been to church here a couple of times. We had him several times until he just got so big we couldn't afford him anymore. Um, we were there when his kids were little. We got to see some of them. And, and uh, now when I go see Andrew, it's in a packed house with, you know, big lights and all these kind of things. But he's got a song that he wrote for his daughter, Sky. And his kids are all grown now. They're all doing their own musical stuff. They're talented. Um, but he's got a song that he wrote to Sky, his daughter, and I would encourage you to listen to it. If you're a Spotify or a Napster-type person, look up the song by Andrew Peterson, Be Kind to Yourself. We're not very kind to ourselves. Here's something else I would say to us. We lie to ourselves more than we lie to anybody else. Scripture says the heart is deceitful. We tell ourselves things are better sometimes than they actually are, but our bigger problem is sometimes we're telling ourselves that things are a lot worse than they actually are. You've heard that expression, making a mountain out of a molehill. We are really, really good at doing that in our own minds. What is the antidote to fear and doubt in our life? I would tell you that the answer to, uh, the answer to that how do you fix fear and doubt in your life? The answer is one word. It's exactly what you would expect a preacher to say to you. The word is faith. Faith fixes doubt and faith fixes fear. Hebrews 11, it was by faith that Noah heard God's warnings about things he could not yet see. He couldn't see a flood. He didn't know what rain was. He knows he's called to build a boat. He's never seen a boat. He's never seen something this size all he's got is the plan God's laid out for him. And you know, when you're going to build something, you've got some idea what it's going to look like. But Noah really has no idea what he's getting himself into. These are all non-visible things. But he hears God and he trusted what he heard from God. You don't always see what God has planned for you. You don't always know where it's going to end up 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. I certainly did not see myself in this spot 30 years ago. I did not. You have to trust your future to God. That's called faith. Hebrews 11, faith makes, sure, makes us sure of what we hope for and gives us proof of what we cannot see. Now, Noah is a man of faith, and, and faith is the antidote to fear and doubt. Paul also dealt with this. Paul wrote this, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen for the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. I've said this several times in this series, but it bears repeating again, um, especially if you're young, listen to me. I mean, everybody needs to listen to this because this is just solid advice for all of us. Do not make permanent decisions in temporary periods of depression or sadness. Do not make your life decisions when you're going through hard stuff and it's got you depressed and sad. Your vision is very limited in those times. Do not make decisions in a valley. The, the vision in a valley is very limited. You want to get to the peak. In the peak, you can see farther. You can see what's coming. You, can, you, can, you have more information to make your decisions. That's some of the best advice you could get if you're a young person right now. Whether you are blessed or stressed, your future will be determined by one thing. What do you choose to focus on? 
Genesis 6, verse 8 in the message, but Noah was different. God liked what he saw in Noah. Hebrews 11, Noah's belief in God was in direct contrast to the sin and disbelief of the rest of the world, which refused to obey, and because of his faith, he became one of those whom God has accepted. Nobody else believed. This is what you call countercultural living. Trust in God instead of trusting in your culture. We put way too much trust in a culture that has lost its way. Listen to what God says instead of the doubts that are rolling around in your head or the doubts of other people. That takes courage. How in the world did Noah have the kind of courage to do what he did? How do you get that kind of courage? One way. You have to stay close to God. That's the only way you get that kind of courage. We're told that Noah heard God speak. And you say, well, Brett, God's never, I've never heard God speak. I mean, I think I told a story last week where I was talking about how I was having this conversation with God. And I think people hear me say that and they're like, really, Brett had a conversation with God. And I know, I know it sounds strange, but, and maybe it's not God. Who knows? Maybe I'm just making the whole thing up. But here's what I know. When I think I'm hearing God, the things I'm hearing are the kind of things God would say. Right? Like there's just certain things that you know God is going to say. There are certain things that you know God would never say. God is always going to call you to forgive. So when you're going along and you're having this prayer time with God and you're like, God, I'm really mad at him and this really makes me angry, and you hear, forgive him, that's probably God. You can say with some pretty great certainty, God told me to forgive them. Well, how do you know? Well, that's the kind of thing God says. Be kind to them, don't be rude to them. Well, how do you know that's God? Because that's the kind of thing God says. Here's what I can tell you. You hear God when you are near God. You hear God when you're near God. That means spending time with him. That means meditating. That means praying. That means reading your, your Bible. It means being around God's people. It means coming to church and letting somebody like me kind of pour into you and, 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 and kind of help you to see God from maybe a new perspective. And it doesn't have to be me. We've got this thing called the interwebs. It's pretty cool. You can get on there and hear some of the greatest preachers in the world, and they can pour into your life and strengthen you and, and encourage you. Read. Listen. Be silent. Let God speak to you. Genesis 6, verse 9. Noah walked faithfully with God. I would just ask you the question, are you walking with God? You say, Brett, I'm not sure. I, you know, what is walking with God? The New Living Translation says it like this, and Noah walked in close fellowship with God. That what, that's what it means to walk with God. It means to be in, in relationship. The, today's English version says Noah lived in fellowship with God. Anytime you're walking with somebody, anytime you, you make a decision to, like you say, we're going to go for a walk. There are some things implied in the sentence, we're going for a walk. Okay, you're implying some things. First of all, you're implying affiliation. What you're saying is, I am not ashamed to be seen with them. I'll walk with you. I'll go there with you. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed to be seen with you. There's an implication of affiliation. I'm not ashamed to be seen with them. Another uh, uh, implication is agreement. 
You see, if you're going to walk together, that means you're gonna, you've agreed that you're going to walk in the same direction. One's not going east and one's not going west. That's not a walk. I don't know what that is, but that's not a walk. And then the, the, the last part of it, the last implication is alignment. If you're going to walk together, what you're deciding is we're going to walk at a certain pace. It's not fun to go for a walk with somebody that you can't keep up with. You ever walked with those people? You know, they're like power walking. They should have weights and stuff, you know, because you just, they're just, they just run off and leave you. No, when you say we're going to take a walk, what you kind of want, one of the things you're implying is we're going to make our minds up to walk at a certain pace. We're going to go at a certain speed. We're going to be together. We're going to be side by side. I was in the car with my best friend yesterday. Uh, was over in Mitchell, Indiana, and we, he, we had driven by this guy's house, and I'd commented on how pretty this guy's house was, and Michael said, yeah, that guy's not a very nice guy. So that was going out. When we came back in, he said, this is the guy that owns the house we were just talking about earlier. And I said, oh, okay. And what I noticed was he was walking about three clips ahead of his wife, right? And when we went by, Michael said, there's a reason why he's walking three steps in front of her. Rumors are that he's been horrible to that woman. Right? The implication when you go for a walk is, no, we're going to walk side by side. We're in agreement. We're going to be together. We're aligned. We're affiliated. We're, we, I affirm this person. There's a fourth way that you can know whether or not you're walking with God, and that is when you're, when you're not walking with God, when you are walking with God, you will be out of step with the rest of the world. The rest of the world does not accept you when you're walking with God. They don't like it. You're different. You're weird. So, Brett, what's the result of walking with God? Well, when you walk with God, you're near to God, and fear begins to dissipate in your life. Noah wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid of the disapproval. He wasn't afraid of what other people were going to say. He's not afraid of the naysayers, not afraid of the criticisms, not afraid of the rejection. Noah was not afraid. You lose your fear when God is near. Here's why that is. You know, the, the Bible in um, 1 Corinthians 13 uses this expression, perfect love casts out fear. Have you ever heard that? Perfect love casts out fear. The, the best earthly explanation of that I can give you is when you were little and you were frightened, who did you want? Mommy or daddy. Right? You wanted mommy or daddy. Because in your world, that was the most perfect love you knew. And when they were close and when you were loved by them, everything was okay. Fear dissipated when they were close. You didn't worry about things. Because that love drove out the fear. I'm telling you that as you get closer to God, the things that scare you in your life, you're going to notice them dissipating because you're walking in lockstep with God. And it takes more to scare you when you've got God right next to you. His love is perfect. Genesis 6, I'm going to send a flood, he tells Noah, that will destroy everything that breathes. Nothing will be left alive, but I solemnly promise that you, your wife, your sons, and your daughter-in-laws will be kept safe in the boat. He's not afraid of a worldwide flood because when God is near, there's nothing to fear. Here's my question, what has you afraid? What is that thing, if you're anything like me, once in a while you get something on your radar and it keeps you up at night. You stare at the ceiling, you ever have those those imaginary conversations with somebody, like if they say this, I'm going to say this, right? And you got it all worked out in your head. Well, if they say that, then I'm going to say this. That's what I'll say. No. Start listening 
to the voice of God. And what you're going to find is fear and doubt just kind of start to dissipate in your life. Third choice Noah made, I must do exactly what God tells me to do. I must do exactly what God tells me to do. Noah does not just hear God's word, he obeys it. Hebrews 11, Noah obeyed God and built a large boat to save his family. Now, the thing is, I have to not only do what he tells me to do, there's also a timely aspect to it. Do what he tells you to do when he tells you to do it. This is about time. This is about methodology. Genesis 6.14, God told Noah, build a boat from cypress wood and seal it with tar inside and out. I want you to notice the very specific instructions God gives Noah. This is very specific. Then build decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make it 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening all the way around the boat just below the roof. Then put three decks inside the boat and put one door on the side. Then include a male and female pair of every kind of animal that I bring into your boat to keep alive during the worldwide flood. And remember, take enough food for your family and all your animals, all the animals. Then I love this. Then Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him to do. This is why we're talking about Noah today. You and I are here because Noah did everything God told him to do when he told him to do it. Thank you, Mr. Noah, because we're here because as a result. In any stage of your life, whether it's the beginning, the middle, or the end, do what God tells you to do. Don't skip a step. Don't fudge a little bit here. God, I'll do it my way. No, 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 no. Do it God's way. It's tempting to take the shortcut. The shortcut always leaves you in a place you don't want to be. You know, Noah could have easily said, God, really? I mean, I have to put all these animals on this boat. I mean, the mosquitoes got to go on the boat. Noah, God, really? And God's like, yeah, they got to go on the boat. But God, Greenpeace will never know if we don't put the mosquitoes on the boat, right? No, all the animals on the boat. In Genesis, we see the same phrase a second time. Genesis 7, verse 1. Finally, the day came when the Lord said to Noah, Now get into the boat with all your family, and now take along seven pairs of each animal that I have approved for eating and sacrifice, along with one pair of each of the others, and take the seven male and female pairs of every kind of bird. And and then you come to verse 5, and it says, Again, Noah did exactly as the Lord had commanded him. Twice we are told that Noah did not skip the steps. You can't take shortcuts and reach the goal God has for you. Genesis 6, God consistently, Noah consistently did what God told him to do. If you want God's blessing in your life, you want to accomplish God's will in your life, you have to consistently do what God is calling you to do. Genesis 6, 9, Noah always tried to conduct his affairs according to God's will. Put yourself in Noah's shoes. He doesn't see, he can't see what an ark looks like. He can't see, he's never seen this amount of rain, never seen this kind of water. He doesn't have any, doesn't have any scope for any of that, but he does not argue with God. God blesses that kind of faith. I would just ask you, what has God called you to do? that you you can't see the end game, you don't always know. 
Maybe it's forgive somebody. Maybe it's take a different job. Maybe it's start tithing. Maybe it's, you know, I'm going to share my faith with somebody. Faith is obeying God even when you don't understand what it is that God's calling you to do. Fourth choice, and then we'll get out of here. Number four, I must never give up on the dream that God gives me. If anyone had a right to be discouraged, it was Noah. He builds on this boat. He builds on this boat. There's no rain. It doesn't rain. We're told that he builds on it for 80 years. They think it was about 120 years from the very beginning until he actually pulls the door closed on the boat. 120 years. Ask yourself, how much would you be able to sustain yourself in the project if it was going to be 120 years long? At what point would you throw your hands up and go, forget this. I ain't doing this. The reason most of us don't succeed in life is because of short-term thinking. We simply give up too early. We just give up too early. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Nehemiah, that you're going to break down in a project, not at the beginning and not at the end. If you're going to row from one island to the next and you can't see the two islands, you're pretty good at the beginning. You've got some steam. You're pretty good at the end because you can see that you're about to make landfall. The problem comes in the middle where you can't see either shore. That's when you're tempted to give up. That's where we always fall down in life. Culture says live only for today. God says no. I want you thinking about the future. Everything takes longer than I think. I'm sure Noah got frustrated, exasperated with how long this whole process took. Why? Because he completes it because he has faith in God. Hebrews 11 verse 7, Noah trusted God when he heard God's warning about the future. Noah believed him even though there was no sign of a flood. 42,001 day. And I bet on many of those days, Noah's rolling out of bed and he's like, I do not feel like going to nail on this boat today. I do not feel like listening to these people walk past me telling me I'm an idiot because I'm working on this boat today. I'm tired of that kind of stuff. You can't tell me there wasn't a point where Noah's thinking to himself, I don't want to do this. But man, he got up and he went to work. You know, there's a point probably where Noah's thinking to himself, what if none of this is real? Noah never gave up. Somebody right now needs to hear that. Somebody needs to hear me say, don't stop. Whatever you're working on, you're thinking about giving up, throw your hands up, like, I'm done. Don't quit. Don't give up. Galatians 6, 9, let us, become, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, the ark is actually a symbol of the, of the uh, saving power of Christ. The same way that the boat saved Noah, Christ on the cross saved us. Did you know that the very first mention of grace in Scripture happens in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8? I love this. King James Version. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It's the first place we ever see the word grace mentioned. Here's what I want to tell you, and then we'll close. The same way the people in the Old Testament got saved is the same way we get saved. By grace, through faith. Not anything you do, not how good you are, not how well you behave. By grace, through faith. That's how you're saved. You could do it, you could do everything God wanted you to do. And if God doesn't want to save you, he doesn't have to save you. You are saved by the grace of God. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, that is something I'm telling you, I'm telling you. That needs to be addressed in your life. Okay? You've got to get that straight. You need to be saved. And if you don't know who to talk to about that, I would love 
to have that conversation with you, okay? Don't let another day go by. If you want to talk about that, we can talk about that. The rest of you, as you go out today, whatever it is that God's given you to do, don't give up on it. Take a good attitude. Be kind to yourself. Talk good thoughts to yourself. Get close to God. closer you get to God, the fear is going to dissipate. You're going to get some things done for him. It just takes time. It takes some faith. It takes some courage. You can't be like the rest of culture. All right? I'm going to pray for us. When I say amen, you're dismissed. The band will not come back out. Um, just would ask you to kind of dismiss by rows. Keep yourself separate. Be good to one another. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to be together. It's a little different under the circumstances, but we're trying to, <clears throat> we're trying to honor you, and we're trying to uh, take care of each other, and we're trying to be as safe as we know how to be. Um, Lord, some of this is, is, is a nuisance, and some of it's just... We don't like it, but um, it's where we are right now. Help us to have a good attitude. Help us to do it for you. Help us to do it for you. Father, help us to do everything we do, everything we put our hand to, that we would do it for you. And as we do that, as we bring our very best to bear every single day, you will bless it. And in advance, Father, I thank you for the way you're going to bless the people in this room. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.